good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's June the 28th, 179th day of the year. 186 days remain till the year's over with. And we can do it all over again. Well, holidays and observances. National Insurance Awareness Day. Don't get me started talking about crooked insurance adjusters. National Tapioca Day. Anniversary of Guru Rinpoche. He spread Buddhism to Bhutan. Christopher Street Day. Um, Hari Raya Hayai. Lamek Taylor Devotion at Gave birth to a worldwide event. National Climate Smart Skin Awareness Day. Be careful here. It's 100 degrees already. National Grant Day. Uh, National Lauren Day. National Logistics Day. National Parchment Day. National Paul Bunyan Day. Sacrifice Feast Eve. St. Vitus Day, and if you want to have fun, go out in the street and dance. It's known as St. Vitus Dance. Stonewall Riots Anniversary. Tabiski Day. Tau Day. Tau is considered more accurate than pie, despite pie's popularity. National Day of Joy. Ukraine Constitution Day. Vietnamese Family Day, Wakfat Arafat Day, and Wimbledon. It takes place on grass, just as a matter of interest. That's the only Grand Slam event to do so. Alrighty, all that having been said, in 1098, fighters of the First Crusade defeat uh, Kerbaga of Mosul at the Battle of Antioch. The First Crusade was the only really successful crusade from the West point of view. 1380, Muhammad VI becomes the 10th Nazarid king of Granada after killing his brother-in-law, Ishmael II. 1461, Edward, Earl of March, is crowned King Edward IV of England, my ancestor. 1495, French force heavily defeats much larger Neapolitan and Spanish army at the Battle of Seminara leading to the creation of the Tarsios by Gonzalo de Cordoba. 1519, Charles V is elected emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. 1575, Sengoku period of Japan. Combined forces of Odo Nobunaga and Tokugawa Iyashu are victorious at the Battle of uh, Nagashino. In 1635, Guadalupe becomes a French colony. 1651, the Battle of Perestetsko between Poland and Ukraine starts on this date. 1745, the New England Colonial Army captures the French fortifications at Louisburg. Louisburg. 1776, American Revolutionary War. Battle of Sutherland's Island ends with the American victory, leading to the commemoration of Carolina Day. 
1776, American Revolutionary War. Thomas Hickey, Continental Army Private and Bodyguard to General George Washington, is hung from mutiny and sedition. If you can't take a joke, to hell with you. 1778, American Revolutionary War. American Continentals engaged the British in the Battle of Monmouth Courthouse, resulting in a standstill in the British withdrawal under cover of darkness. 1797, French troops disembark in Corfu, beginning the French rule on the Ionian Islands. 1807, second British invasion of the Rio de la Plata. John Whitelock lands in Ensenado in an attempt to recapture Buenos Aires and is defeated by the locals. 1838, coronation of Queen Victoria of the UK took place on this date. 1841, Paris Opera Ballet premieres Giselle in the Salle de la Perletiere. 1855, Sigma Chi Fraternity is founded in North America. 1859, first confirmation dog show is held in Newcastle on Tyne in England. 1865, the Union Army of the Potomac is disbanded. 1870, Congress establishes the first federal holidays. The year, and that was New Year's Day, July 4th, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. 1880, Australian bushranger Ned Kelly is captured in uh, Glen Rowan. 1881, the Austro-Serbian Alliance of 1881 is secretly signed. 1882, the Anglo-French Convention of 1882 marks the territorial boundaries between Guinea and Sierra Leone. 1894, Labor Day becomes an official U.S. holiday. 1895, U.S. Court of Private Land Claims ruled James Reeves claimed a barony of Arizona is wholly fictitious and fraudulent. Uh, 1896, an explosion in the Newton Coal Company's twin shaft mine in Pittston, Pennsylvania results in a massive cave-in that kills 58 miners. 1902, Congress passes the Spooner Act, authorizes President Theodore Roosevelt to acquire rights from Columbia for the Panama Canal. When I got to the Panama Canal in 1975, it was like stepping back to the 50s. It was unbelievable. Kept waiting for Fonzie to come down the street on a motorcycle. 1904, the SS Norwich runs aground on Hazelwood Rock in the North Atlantic, 270 miles northwest of Ireland. 635 people died during that sinking. 1911, the Nakwa meteorite, the first one to suggest signs of aqueous processes on Mars if they, uh, falls to Earth, lands in Egypt. 1914, Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria and his wife Sophia assassinated in Sarajevo. This was the causes belly of World War I. It was shot by a student who was told he would be world famous for striking a blow for freedom. Yeah, right. 1917, World War I, Greece joins the Allies. 1919, Treaty of Versailles is signed, ending the state of war between Germany and the Allies of World War I. 1921, the Serbian king, Alexander I, proclaims a new constitution of the kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes, known thereafter as the Vidov Dun Constitution. 
1922, the Irish Civil War begins with the shelling of the four courts in Dublin by Free State forces. 1926, Mercedes-Benz is formed by Gottlieb Daimler and Carl Benz, merging their two companies. 1936, the Japanese puppet state of Ningjiang is formed in northern China. 1940, Romania seized Bessarabia and northern Bukovina to the Soviet Union after facing an ultimatum. 1942, World War II, Nazi Germany starts a strategic summer offensive against the Soviet Union, codenamed Case Blue. 1945, Poland's Soviet Allied Provisional Government of National Unity is formed over a month after victory in Europe Day. 1948, Cold War, Tito Stalin split results in the expulsion of the legal communists of Yugoslavia from the common form. 1948, boxer Dick Turpin beats Vince Hawkins at Villa Park in Birmingham to become the first black British boxing champion in the modern era. 1950, Korean War, suspected communist sympathizers of between 60,000 and 200,000 are executed in the Bodo League Massacre. 1950, Korean War, packed with its own refugees fleeing Seoul and leaving their 5th Division stranded, South Korean forces blow up the Hanging Bridge in an attempt to slow North Korea's offensive. City falls later that same day. 1950 Korean War, the Korean People's Army kills almost a thousand doctors, nurses, inpatient civilians, and wounded soldiers in the Seoul National University Hospital Massacre. 1956 in Poznan, workers from HCP factory go to the streets, sparking one of the first major protests against communist governments both in Poland and Europe. 1964, Malcolm X forms the Organization of Afro-American Unity. 1969, the Stonewall Riots begin in New York City. Marks the start of the gay rights movement. 1973, elections are held for the Northern Ireland Assembly, which will lead to power sharing between the Unionists and the Nationalists in Northern Ireland for the first time. 1976, the Golden Court sentences U.S. and U.K. mercenaries to death sentences and prison terms in the Luanda trial. Now, for those who are not familiar with the Luanda trial, it was held in Luanda, Angola. Thirteen Western mercenaries were sentenced to either prison terms or execution by firing squad. Uh, Angola got its independence from Portugal, November 11, 1975, and immediately there was a three-sided civil war. Popular movement for the liberation of Angola was supported by the Soviet Union in Cuba. We and some of our allies backed the National Liberation Front of Angola and the National Union for the Total Independence of Angola. Now, the 13 mercenaries that went on trial were fighting for the National Liberation Front of Angola. Nine British, three American, and one Irish were captured by the, the uh, popular movement for liberation of Angola. Indicted by the People's Revolutionary Court in Luanda. The uh, trial lasted five days, and there were five judges. 
Now, Senate says we're passed June 28th. Executed by firing squad were Costas Georgiou, also known as Colonel Tony Callan. Uh, he was from the UK. Andrew Gordon McKenzie from the UK. Derek John Barker from the UK. And Daniel Francis Gearhart from the US. Sentenced to 30 years imprisonment was Michael Douglas Wiseman from the UK. Kevin John Marchant from the UK. James George Butler from the UK. And Gustavo Marcelo Grillo from Argentina, who was also a U.S. citizen. 24 years imprisonment with John Laurel from the U.K., Colin Evans from the U.K., and Cecil Martin Satch Fortune from South Africa, who was a U.K. citizen. And 16 years of imprisonment with the John Nemec from the U.K., Gary Martin Acker from the U.S., and Malcolm McIntyre. Now, even some of the mercenaries described uh, Colonel Tony Callan as a homicidal maniac. He killed folks just for fun. Well, the uh, the bad thing. Hmm. Was that uh, It allowed the punishment of people simply because they were mercenaries. 1978, U.S. Supreme Court and Regents of the University of California versus Baki bars quota systems in college admissions as well they should. 1981, a powerful bomb explodes in Tehran, kills 73 officials of the Islamic Republican Party. 1982, Aeroflot Flight 8641 crashes in Mazar, Belarus. Kills 132 people. 1987, for the first time in military history, a civilian population is targeted for chemical attack when Iraqi warplanes bomb the Iranian town of Sardasht. 1989, on the 600th anniversary of the Battle of Kosovo, Slobodan Milosevic delivers the Gazamistan speech at the site of the historic battle. 1997, Holyfield Tyson, too. Mike Tyson is disqualified in the third round for biting a, off a piece of Evander Holyfield's ear. Two thousand one, Slobodan is extradited from the ICTY to the, in the Hague to stand trial. 2004, Iraq War. Sovereign power is handed to the interim government of Iraq by the Coalition Provisional Authority ending the U.S.-led rule of that nation. 2009, Honduran President Manuel Zelala is ousted by a local military coup following a failed request to hold a referendum to rewrite the Honduran Constitution. This was the start of the 2009 Honduran Constitutional Crisis. And in 2016, a terrorist attack in Turkey's Istanbul at a Turk airport kills 42 and injures more than 230 others. Well, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth and round and round about all these different um, wars and rumors of wars. There's no question that... Um, a lot of folks are not happy 
those who live in a relatively free society want communism and socialism where everybody has everything. It's a paradise, don't you know? And those that live under socialism and communism want so badly to come here, which is why our borders are being overrun. Uh, grass is always greener on the other side. The problem is that a lot of our educators take impressionable young folks and indoctrinate them. Um, I've heard students holding forth on the need to do this and that and the other. They'll even dry behind the ears and trying to tell you how to live because their professor said so. A uh, prime example is this David Hogg. And everybody should throw away their guns because he doesn't like them. Well, excuse me. I think it's time um, Mr. Hogg folds up his tent and just goes away. Now, we have been talking about um, the Kennedy hit list. Over 50 witnesses and peripheral uh, players to the Kennedy assassination were killed. Um, and we've done seven segments, and this is going to be the eighth one. Now, George DeMornshield, what well, a lot of folks call Baron DeMornshield, um, was going to be a witness. He had, many people said he was Oswald's handler and Oswald was CIA. Well, he was killed by a shotgun blast. And of course, authorities immediately rushed forward and said, oh, it's suicide. Nothing to see here. Well, he was the actual key link between Oswald and the CIA. And he was a, a link between uh, conservative Texas oil millionaires who were uh, said to be involved in the Kennedy assassination. Kennedy's policies uh, jeopardized the activities of a lot of people. Now, there were a number of inconsistencies involved in the, the Moore and Shield death. You know, even decades after his death, and he died on March 29, 1977, uh, the story of George DeMornshield is still of major interest to a lot of people. Um, Vincent Bugliosi, author of Weird Creaming History, ordered TV camera operators to stop filming when Jesse Ventura mentioned that the morning she was part of the CIA. And a lot of folks have been willing to fall on their swords to protect the CIA. Um, now, the Morris was 
First and foremost, he's a very sophisticated businessman, descended from Russian royalty, and he's been a CIA asset for a long time. One of his tasks, according to attorney Mark Lane, was babysitter for Lee Harvey Oswald on behalf of the CIA. Um, the Marshall's case officer was J. Walton Moore. Jackie Kennedy was a very close friend of George DeMornishu. She called him Uncle George. Now, CIA business assets operate in much the same way as their media assets. They provide the raw intelligence on matters of interest to the agency. Uh, and the CIA helped him win an oil contract in Turkey. And then, of course, anything he found out in Turkey while well, conducting business was funneled back to the CIA. He gave full reports on business people and government leaders that he met while doing business there. And George H.W. Bush knew DeMarne Schiller uh, very well as, in fact, um, as well. In fact, uh, DeMarne Schiller was the uncle of Bush's roommate at Andover. And Bush and uh, DeMarnshew were members of the same clubs in Texas. In fact, Bush's phone number is found in DeMarnshew's address book. Uh, Gate and Fonzie, special investigator for the House Select Committee on Assassination, verified DeMarnshew's address book contained entries for George H.W. Poppy Bush and for Zapata Petroleum in Midland, Texas. Now, Bush was one of the founders of Zapata, and many FBI and CIA veterans have substantiated Zapata oil helped provide uh, the CIA uh, assets used in its anti-Castro intelligence operations. And U.S. Army Brigadier General Russell Brown wrote that there was a cover-up of Zapata's CIA connections, According to him, Bush, in fact, worked directly with the anti-Castro-Cuban groups in Miami before and after the Bay of Pigs invasion. He used his company's Zapata Oil as a corporate cover for his activities on behalf of the agency. And, uh, in fact, records at the University of Miami, where the operations were based for a number of years, show George Bush was present during that time period. And as far as... Things held in common. Bush and DeMarnshield also shared oil wealth and the CIA. And even though he denied it for a long time, before he became president, George H.W. Bush was the director of the CIA. And before he became the director of the CIA, he was involved in supporting anti-Castro intelligence operations on behalf of the agency. In fact, the CIA's code name for that invasion was Operation Zapata. 1981, all security and exchange commission filings for Zapata offshore um, between 60 and 66 were destroyed. In other words, the same year that Bush became vice president, records detailing his years at his drilling company vanished, which I think is rather telling. 1969, Zapata bought the United Fruit Company of Boston. That's another company operating in South America with strong CIA connections. 
I came across uh, United uh, Fruit Company. Um, well, let's call them operations while I was in South America. It's also been established the Shield provided intel to military intelligence. The 112th Military Intelligence Group in San Antonio, Texas. That's uh, the same 112th from which Colonel Robert Jones, uh, the afternoon of the same day the Kennedy was assassinated, provided files on Lee Harvey Oswald, an act that participated uh, warplanes being launched against Cuba until they were called back hastily. Everybody was going to use that as a a reason to <laughs> excuse me to attack Cuba. James Southwood was a U.S. military intelligence veteran with a top secret security clearance. Two months after, before the assassination of Kennedy, Southwood got a very important assignment at the 502nd Military Intelligence Battalion to provide all documentation possible on Lee Harvey Oswald, also known as Harvey Lee Oswald, and Alec James Hadell. And he was also asked to provide any and all information on Gene and George DeMornshield. As he confirmed to author uh, Dick Russell, all the information he had on Oswald was given to the 112th by George DeMornshield. Now, if you search through the case thoroughly, you find three relevant tracks of information that have been completely ignored by the mainstream media. Now, understand, mainstream media has a job as well of covering up anything that would intend to embarrass the CIA. And that's going on to this day. You don't believe CNN is as incompetent as it comes across because they hire stupid people. They've been told what they can and cannot report. Now, CIA agent Jack Huggins did special work for the Kennedys. He paid a visit to the Morning Shield right after the assassination of Kennedy and at the specific direction of Attorney General Robert Kennedy. Um, a close friend of Huggins, Willem Altman, revealed that the Morning Shield admitted to him in detail he'd been the go-between for the assassination. Between big, big Texas oil millionaires, unhappy CIA agents, and Oswald, and the fact a tape recording was made of the killing. Now, according to Huggins, he knew George DeMarshield to be a veteran CIA contract agent. He got information for his investigation by using a variety of methods, which apparently included breaking two of George DeMorne Shields' fingers to inspire the level of cooperation he wanted. Huggins concluded that planning and organization for the assassination was performed by DeMorne Shield and David Ferry, both of whom were veteran CIA uh, operators, and George DeMorne Shield was actually president of Dallas the day of the assassination even though he had a fully prepared alibi that said otherwise. And he stated further death of George DeMorgio by shotgun was actually a murder, not a suicide. Now, most researchers into this, about whether or not uh, or how closely DeMorgio was in cahoots with the CIA, 
uh, have been of two minds. Few dared venture into the realm of his actual involvement in the assassination, but the evidence leads in that direction, and Huggins may have been right about DeMorne Shields' involvement. And uh, William Hotman, who was also a close friend of DeMorne Shields, as, as I said, implied there was a strong link. What Hotman said was startling in that DeMorne Shields had confessed to being involved in the assassination of Kennedy. Now, others have claimed, Altman claimed, along with others, that DeMorne Shield admitted serving as a middleman between Oswald and H.L. Hunt in an assassination plot involving other Texas oil men, anti-Castro Cubans, and elements of the FBI and the CIA. So, according to a direct source, George DeMorne Shield said he acted as the go-between for the setting up of the assassination as the liaison between the Texas billionaires H.L. Hunt and renegade CIA agents. And as mental health declined rapidly, DeMorne Shield um, immediately denied what he had previously said. Eventually, he said, well, I, I am responsible. I feel responsible for the behavior of Lee Harvey Oswald because I guided him. I instructed him to set it up. Well, there were a lot of people who weren't too thrilled about hearing him say it was a, anything like this to a congressional committee. On uh, March 29th, same day he died, he gave an interview to author Edward J. Epstein, in which he claimed that the, in 1962, Dallas CIA operative J. Walter Moore gave him the go-ahead to meet Oswald. He said, I would never have contacted Oswald in a million years if Moore hadn't sanctioned it. Too much was at stake. Well, there's more than one way to silence a witness, of course, and when you look into the rapid demise of George DeMorne Shield. There were a number of extremely disturbing things that came to light. Electroshock treatments, injections of drugs a suspicious doctor refused to identify, even to uh, DeMorne Shield's wife, when she noticed a dramatic and rapid decline in her husband and the, the mental delusions that began to suffer. Jean DeMorne Shield attempted to intervene, but the doctor refused to allow her to see what he was doing and even began yelling at her for daring to ask him questions. I've dealt with arrogant doctors like that before. For such a suave, sophisticated socialite, DeMorneshield's mental and physical decline was so incredibly rapid it really needs to be examined. To the disbelief of old friends, he went from a solid, extremely confident man to a basically a human vegetable. And he did it very quickly. The change in DeMorneshield's demeanor was 180 degrees, dramatically opposed to the man he'd been. Um, his wife put all the blame for her husband's decline on the, the doctors, apparently started with a bout of bronchitis. He suffered from uh, chronic bronchitis in the spring of 76, had a case of it that was worse than usual. Some friend or acquaintance, and she couldn't remember what, uh, told DeMorne Sheila about a doctor who was newly arrived in Dallas, was supposed to be good, and he went to see him for an office visit, and that's when everything came unraveled. Gene said after several trips to this new doctor, whose name was Charles Mendoza, by late spring, early summer, the bronchitis was gone, but there was an abrupt and dramatic personality change in her husband. Became paranoid and began making wild claims. In fact, instead of getting better, it seemed to be getting worse until finally the, she confronted the doctor. 
And when he was confronted, the doctor became angry and upset. But then she was suspicious and started going with her husband on each of his visits. But the doctor wouldn't allow him to be with her husband during his treatments. He said George was gravely ill and had to be alone while he got his treatments. But his doctor Mendoza was apparently giving DeMarshield some type of special injections as well as some expensive drug prescriptions. His condition deteriorated so rapidly he was checked into a mental hospital and given electroshock therapy. Now, not much is known about this mysterious Dr. Mendez. It's not Mendoza. A check with the Dallas County Medical Society showed Dr. Mendoza first registered in April 76, less than two months before he began to treat DeMornishield. And at the same time, the House Select Committee on Assassinations was beginning to, to be funded. And just as quickly as he appeared, Dr. Mendoza vanished. He left Dallas in December, a few months after DeMornishield refused to continue treatments at the assistance of his wife. He left the society a forwarding address that proved to be non-existent. And he left behind a confused and unbalanced George DeMornshield. DeMornshield was never the same again. He never recovered mentally. Something had clearly happened to him, and nobody knew what that something was. He used to win tennis matches. Always suntanned. He jogged every morning. Healthy as a bull. Just had a little bit of bronchitis. Well... The one she was subpoenaed to testify before the Congressional Committee investigating the assassination and died the day before he was supposed to testify. Now, there's a lot of evidence the one she was being seriously harassed and he felt his life was threatened. He begged his friend, Altman, to take him out of the country because they were after him. He felt he was being hounded by federal agents, and he feared for his life. Well, on September 5th, 1976, he wrote a polite but panicked letter to his old friend, George H.W. Bush, director of the CIA at the time. He asked Bush to, for assistance to remove the net of the surveillance nightmare surrounding his life. And looking at the exact wording of the letters, rather revealing. Now, remember, this is written to George H.W. Bush said, you'll excuse this handwritten letter. Maybe you'll be able to bring a solution to the hopeless situation I find myself in. My wife and I find ourselves surrounded by some vigilantes. Our phones are bugged. We're being followed everywhere. Either the FBI is involved in this or they don't want to accept uh, his complaints. And I can tell you from personal experience how absolutely incompetent the FBI can be when they want to. Um... Going on with DeMorne Shield's letter, we're driven to insanity with the situation. He said, I've been behaving like a damn fool ever since my daughter Nadia died from cystic fibrosis three years ago. He said, I tried to write stupidly and unsuccessfully about Lee Harvey Oswald and must have angered a lot of people. And to punish an elderly man like myself and my highly nervous and sick wife is really too much. Could you do something about to remove the net around us? This will be my last request for help and I won't annoy you anymore. Good luck in your job. Well, for what it's worth, Bush answered back with a vague, formal letter that basically said he didn't know what DeMarshu was talking about. 
House Select Committee for Assassination was clearly interested in taking testimony from George DeMorne Shield, uh, Robert Tannenbaum, committee counsel, listening intently to what Wilhelm um, Altman told him about DeMorne Shield's connection to the case and where it could be located. Tannenbaum told Altman we'll have an investigator there tomorrow, and he did. Special Investigator Gaten Fonzi appeared the next day to try to interview uh, DeMorne Shield for the committee. George's, uh, DeMorne Shield's daughter had been staying at a luxurious villa near Palm Beach, Florida, and George had been staying there also. Morning of March 29, 1977, Gaten Fonzi, the committee's Miami-based investigator, arrived at the villa in, uh, in Aldapan. Told by DeMarshall's Shields' daughter, her father was meeting with journalists at J. Epstein at a Palm Beach hotel. We'll be back that night. At 1 p.m., DeMarshall left by car and returned to his temporary residence. At 2.21 p.m., he was dead. Authorities determined the time of listening to a tape on which DeMarshall's daughter is recording a TV soap opera which, while she was at work. Well, author Dick Russell investigated the circumstances of DeMarshall's Shields' death and Learned from Gene DeMorean Shields, there was such uh, there was a lot there to be investigated. Instead, it was quickly and officially ruled a suicide. Asked her point blank if she thought her husband had taken his own life, and she said, nobody knew him does. He tried, uh, Dick Russell tried to get the story out of her, but all she would say is, uh, I have a few other little facts that prove he didn't. Mark Lane attended the coroner's inquest in Florida. Became because the untimely death of DeMorne Shield was just too coincidental. And learning and learned was absolutely amazing. There was a tape recording of DeMorne Shield's murder. Maid had been instructed to make an audio tape of a television soap opera, and she had done so. And while the tape recorder was running and audio recorded the shooting death of George DeMorne Shield, the shotgun blast can be heard clearly. Attorney Lane heard it as it was played for the grand jury at the coroner's inquest. Also, some other sounds on the tape recording are extremely pertinent to the matter. According to Lane, they claimed he committed suicide, but if you listen to the tape, you hear little noise, you hear silence, you hear beep, 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 a little more noise, and then you hear the shot. Now, the beep, 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 beep was a security system on medium mode. One mode is fully armed. If anybody opens the door or window, the siren goes off and the police are notified. On another mode, it's off entirely. But on the medium mode, it goes beep, beep, beep to show that somebody's opened the door and come into the house. And that happened just before DeMorne's shoe was shot. That's a game-changer piece of evidence. And you can hear the whole thing on the Internet. According to Lane, uh, he talked to the DA when you listened to that tape. He was shown just, he was uh, down there just before the coroner's inquest, and he said, does that sound like somebody came into the house? And the DA said, we're not going to go into that. And Lane said, why? And the DA said, you understand why. This is bigger than all of us. We have to do what we have to do. Lane said, I don't understand. And the DA said, well, listen, you can't speak at the coroner's inquest. You're just going to do, be a spectator. Lane said, I know that. 
So he played the tape and told the coroner's jury that this was a suicide. And a woman on the coroner's jury said, that beep, 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 that sounds like my security system. Somebody apparently went into the house. And the DA said, we are not going to go into that. So they ruled it a suicide. That was the end of it. But I think it's very clear. There's a whole lot more to the story than anybody was allowed to see. Another thing to consider with seriousness is that uh, George de Mornshew, by all accounts, was a suave, debonair, supremely sophisticated gentleman who moved seamlessly through the, uh, the very high social strata. It's rather preposterous to think he'd choose a shotgun as a means of committing suicide and leave his shotgun corpse and the easily predictable accompanying bloodbath of a mess to his daughter and their host to return home to find. That just did not fit in with his character. And the fact that the alarm showed somebody came in the house was a very telling fact that the DA refused to go into. I've always heard justice is blind. I didn't know it was also stupid and deaf. May 11th, 1978, Jean DeMorne Shield gave an interview to the Fort Worth Star-Telegram where she said she didn't accept her husband committed suicide. She also said she believed only Harvey Oswald was an agent of the uh, United States, possibly the CIA, and she was convinced he didn't kill Kennedy. She went on to say, they may get me too. I'm not afraid. Well, and then she ended the interview with saying it's about time somebody looked into this thing. Well, part of the problem is the same deep state in power today was in power in 1963. And they cleaned up any loose ends. Now, number 45 on our hit list, President Carlos Prio Sacaras, April 5th, 1977, died of gunshot wounds. And wouldn't you know it, it was a suicide. Found shot outside his home in Florida just as he was being sought to testify before the House Select Committee on Assassinations. Now, Sacaras played a key role in the anti-Castro operations. And there's not a whole lot of information can be found about his murder. He knew Jack Ruby and Frank Sturgis. Had many links to the mafia. Was a witness of special interest to Congress and was shot before he could testify about what he knew. He'd been the former Cuba president. Murdered less than a week after George DeMorne Shield and Chuck Nicoletti were eliminated. He was Cuba's last elected president. Served from 1948 to 1952. Reported and never kept his campaign promise of removing the mafia from Cuban politics, and in fact, had links to him himself. Also, should be noted, he apparently gained noticeable wealth during his presidency. Uh, Fugencia Bautista ousted him in 1952, and he fled to the U.S. In 53, Castro ousted Bautista, and... He ended, between he and his brother, they're still in power. Apparently the reason Batista, who history denounces as a dictator, found it so easy to, to throw a military coup against Sakaras was because he was even more corrupt than the dictators. 
Cuban democracy tenure of Carlos Prio has often been described as the most corrupt in the island's history. Time when political gangs and some American counterparts ran uh, rampant. Legendary gunrunner Robert McEwen uh, had a few comments to make about uh, the former president of Cuba, who was actually McEwen's buddy. He said Prio got out of Cuba with a hell of a lot of money, and he didn't give a damn how he spent it either. He said, I carried $100,000 in cash in my coat pocket a lot of times. Now, Sakaris was found dead from gunshot wounds outside his Miami Beach home April 5, 1977. Even though the official ruling was suicide, a little, little is known about the incident. Author David Miller suggested Prio Sakaris had been murdered to keep him from testifying. Already been linked in testimony to both Jack Ruby and Frank Sturgis, both people of interest to the committee, and also apparently been involved in the CIA's bungled Bay of Pigs intelligence operation that attempted and failed to take uh, control of Cuba back from Castro. Now, number 46 is probably uh, a name known to most people Jimmy Hoffa, July 30th, 1977. You know, Hoffa always managed to make his opinions known, even under fire to government hearing. He was a top labor leader in the country, had major connections to the mafia, arch enemy of Attorney General Bobby Kennedy. And I knew an individual, God, this has got to be 40 years ago, who uh, had connections to the uh, Teamsters Pension Fund. Bought a fifty thousand dollar car. Didn't look to me like he had fifteen cents. But his funding came from the pension fund because he knew the right people. Well, Jimmy Hoffa vanished. Everyone assumed he was dead. They've never found the body. He was declared legally dead July thirtieth, nineteen seventy five. Law enforcement agencies. As recently as recently as 2013, investigate the murder as an open case. In typical, maf typical mafia fashion, he was lured to his death by two people he thought he could trust. Frank, the Irishman, Sharan, and Russell, the old man, Buffalino. And contrary to, to the popular media notion, we don't know what happened. Sheehan made a deathbed confession and said exactly what happened to Hoffa. Now, he was a labor leader, very popular president of the powerful two million member Teamster Union, controlled a billion dollar pension fund that was used to make sweet loans to mafia fronts such as casinos and hotels in Vegas, had strong ties to the mafia nationally, but his actual power center was Detroit, Chicago. Now, he vanished and was presumed to have been murdered. Last seen at the Red Fox restaurant outside of Detroit right after lunch on Wednesday, July 30th, 1975. Over 200 FBI agents conducted a massive search and investigation for years to try to find Hoffa's body. Never did find him. Um, most massive search in modern history. Never determined what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. The FBI was confident in the identity of Hoffa's killers, 
suspect list included Frank the Irishman Sheehan, who was a known hitman, uh, Chucky O'Brien, stepson of Jimmy Hoffa, Salvatore Sally Bugs Brigugillo, Gabriel Gabe Brigugillo, Brigoglio, I'm sorry, Gabriel Gabe Brigoglio, Stephen, Steve Andretta, Thomas Andretta, Anthony Tony Pro Provenzo, Anthony Tony Jack Giacolone, Russell the Old Man Buffalino, who was boss of the Buffalo crime family of Pennsylvania and large parts of New York, New Jersey, and Florida. Deathbed testimony of a longtime hitman, uh, Frank Sharon, revealed that Moff had been had asked mob leader Carlo Marcello and Sonno Traficani to get rid of JFK, and after that request, Sheehan was directed to deliver high-powered uh, rifles to Dave Ferry, who was Marcello's private pilot, to be used in Dallas. And one of the first things Bobby Kennedy did after his brother's murder was to direct his top assistant at the Justice Department to check for the involvement of Jimmy Hoffa. So it was no secret he was referred to by everybody, including himself, as Hoffman. He was known to be a tough cookie. At one time, he was as famous as the the Beatles or the president of the U.S. in some ways was more influential and powerful than both of them put together. He was the nation's most prominent labor leader during the decades of battle between big business and millions of working-class Americans. He was a hero to the millions, but was the openly declared enemy of big business. Even Bobby Kennedy, who was Hoffa's archenemy, acknowledged Hoffa's high status. He made the comment, he wasn't just the most powerful man in labor, he was the most powerful man in the country, next to the president. And he earned that reputation the hard way, by proving it. Started out unloading trucks at 32 cents an hour under horrendously unfair working conditions. One hot afternoon when loads of fresh strawberries came in on trucks, Hoffa gave the signal, and the men sat down instead of unloading them. And as the strawberries sat there ripening in the sun, the company was only left with two choices. Let them rot and listen to the lead, uh, workers' demands. What became known as the big gamble that strawberry boys paid off, and a new union was born that day. During the years, the union organized it followed strikes and knocked down drag-out brawls were just another day at work for these guys. Hoffa had his skull cracked open dozens of times by union busters and strike breakers. Those were thugs hired by the big companies to come in and break heads. And he took it. And the men followed him. And the cops, unfortunately, was on the side of the company, so arrests were part of the game. In fact, arrests were so expected, Hoffa would line up a magistrate to approve bail for his boys on an immediate basis. During one free-for-all, Hoffa's right-hand man was arrested 26 times during a 24-hour period. He just kept fighting and getting called by the police and post bail and go right back to the picket line. Well, Hoffa grew up hard and tough and stayed that way. Developed a reputation for fearlessness that cemented him into the Hoffa legend. The gang of Union Tufts and mob guys were marching off to have lunch or a few beers. You could bet the ranch. It was Hoffa marching out in front of the pack. He was short and stock, but stocky, but uh, he was... Solid as a rock and took quick, frantic steps right up to his dying day. Well, his union was known as the International Brotherhood of Teamsters and represented over 2 million truck drivers, warehouse workers, workers and others. 
crucial in maintaining the steady flow of daily business in America. Well, now nobody described the actual context of the Hoffa-Kennedy War better than Frank Sheeran. He was a longtime mobster and Hoffa associate. He said, you got to keep in mind when Bobby Kennedy came in as Attorney General, the FBI was still basically ignoring organized crime. For years and years since Prohibition ended, the only thing that so-called mobsters had to contend with were the local cops, and a lot of them were on the take. Then Bobby Kennedy gets in, and a bad dream turns into somebody's worst nightmare. All of a sudden, everybody's that's going along, minding their own business, starts getting indicted. People are going to jail, getting deported. Now, on that Nashville trial on the test fleet case, the end of 62, Jimmy taking a stand against Bobby in what was shaping up like a major war ever, uh, ever since Bobby got in as attorney general. Well, it was clear Kennedy intended to send Hoffa to prison. Justice Department literally set up a get Hoffa department. Hoffa knew it. Well, a large part of the problem was And we're seeing a lot of that today. Organized crime is organized for many reasons. Bottom line is to make a profit. Here in El Paso, because there's so many disabled veterans who have access to grants and what have you from the VA that attorneys, contractors, and a few judges have organized to help get that money um, I've seen judges make totally insane decisions because they know they'll get an envelope at the end of the day. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. Once again, we'll be finishing up the Kennedy hit list. Till then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.